Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 26 here in just a moment. So if you want to open your Bibles to Mark 4. Uh, if you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here. And we're completing a series of sermons where we've talked about what it means to treasure what God has given us to treasure. How do we place something of greater value compared to those things the world offers us, which God says doesn't have that same value? How do we treasure these things? So we began by looking in Proverbs 3, where we're told that the path of wisdom is straightened by God, and we learn the path of wisdom by choosing God's ways over our own. It's the very first step in treasuring. Then we looked at some of the parables that Jesus taught, where he showed us that he has given us opportunities with our time, our treasure, and our talents to be able to treasure and hold on to the most valuable things, to make this a priority. Last week, we looked in John 15 at what it means to abide, that there's this metaphor of being fruitful in the kingdom, to put on the character of Christ and to live this out in his world. This is what we're created to do. And then Jesus ended his teaching by saying, now go love one another. This is how we produce fruit in the world, by loving and caring for each other. Today, I want to uh, wrap up our conversation by talking about what it means to be a person who treasures. What, is, what does a treasurer look like and do? And that was uh, doing some reading. In 1848, uh, they wanted to build a bridge that went from New York State into Canada across the Niagara Falls. They wanted to bridge this gap as a, as a way to bring in uh, business and, and everything else and connect these two nations. And to be able to do that, they would make a bridge by actually the, the old-fashioned model was to tie a rope to the end of an arrow and shoot that rope across the span. But they couldn't do that because of the winds and the distance. They couldn't get an arrow across with the rope. So they decided to give a contest with a whopping $5 grand prize for the person who could span, figure out a way to span that. Well, there was a little American boy at 10 years of age. He got in his, his rowboat and he rowed across the span. He got to the Canadian side knowing where the winds were coming from and he decided to fly a kite from the Canadian side to the U.S. side. And he did it successfully three times with only the third one counted. The first time, the uh, twine broke. The second time, by the time he got to the other side, the wind had blown his kite back into the water and he lost the connection. And the third time, he flew it over. He had a buddy on the other side who tied it to a tree. They tied it to a tree on the other side. So they had this kite string between the two. They took the kite string and they tied a harder gauge or a larger gauge rope and they pulled it to the side. Then they took that rope and took another higher gauge rope and they did this back and forth with cabling until they got this massive cable pulled across by a stronger cable. I knew you'd be impressed. I can tell by all of your demeanors, you all are looking this up on Google right now. But I thought it was fascinating because it actually teaches a, a life principle, I think, in telling the story. And they say that the cable that was pulled across in the 1800s still exists in the bridge that goes across that span today. Well, here's the principle I want you to think about. Can you think of any moment in your life where a very small gesture that seemed fairly insignificant ended up changing the path of your life? That somebody flew a simple kite string and from there you used it to gain access back and forth between events in your life that changed everything? I think every one of us can, can think of this. Can you remember the first time you went to church? Or the first time someone invited you to church? 
I've heard this story over the last 30 years more times than I can recall, but the number of people who said, yeah, we, I'll ask them, how'd you come to Christ Church? How'd you discover us out here in the middle of nowhere? And I remember one, very, he became a good friend of mine, but I remember him looking at me saying, yeah, one day my daughter looked at my wife and I on a Saturday night and said, we need to go to church. And they started that kite string, started spanning a gap in their life that changed their family. That how many times, the first time, do you remember opening the Bible because you wanted to know what it said? And that tiny little string pulled you a distance and got you to where you are today. It's true, isn't it? I noticed first hour when I brought up this illustration, I saw a husband look at his wife and he nudged her and she blushed and punched him back. And I thought, oh, he took a kite string on that girl, that's for sure. And they're married now because he took a risk. And he did a very simple, small gesture. Wasn't that profound? Remember what we learned last week. God is not calling you and I to save the world. He's already taken care of that. He's called us to be advocates, to be representatives, to be agents of his kingdom, to point out that the savior of the world is not you and me. It is not the church. It's Jesus. So if I told you to fly a kite, would you be unoffended? Because that's what I'm going to ask you to do today. Because treasuring is about trusting. It goes all the way back to the four pieces that of these Legos we're snapping together in this series. To not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will straighten your path. To take the opportunities that God has given every single one of us. To then abide in the strength of the fruit that can only come from a life in Jesus. Then we become treasurers. We become people who know how to live this out. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said it so clearly, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we treasure adheres to our soul and it changes who we are for good or for bad. One preacher said it this way, what's the greatest danger to treasuring the ways of God? When we begin to ask this question, what do I get out of it? And when we ask, when God gives us a way to walk in wisdom, and we ask, what do we get out of it? We have misrepresented the whole gospel. God is the treasure. We don't get anything greater than God and a life with him for eternity. That is the truth. And so when we ask, what do I get out of it? We've misunderstood how much we already have. And I want you to notice something, and this is not something I'm embarrassed to, to proclaim here today. If you wanna give God your heart, He's going to take something away. God always requires a sacrifice, not because he needs it, but because it's how he reshapes us. I want you to think about this. Fundamentally, all the way back from the Old Testament, even through today, God has required one-seventh of your time belongs to him. It's called a Sabbath. That one day of every week is dedicated to the Lord to not work, to trust the fact, think about this, Americans, to trust the fact that you can spend one day not working and the world won't fall apart and you won't go broke and everything won't come unraveled. It's the principle of the Sabbath. And that God also requires that one-tenth of your productivity, called a tithe, that one-tenth of your productivity should be invested in something not named you for the principle of expanding his kingdom. You see, when God wants to shape us, he often takes something away so he can add something to. This is what treasurers learn to understand. Sacrifice is a part of his kingdom. 
Now let's look at me, look with me today at one of my favorite, very, I don't, I don't know that I want to say it's unknown, but it's one that's so simple, but it's so beautiful. Let's look at Mark chapter four, verses 26 through 29 in this tiny little parable Jesus teaches. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. It's very simple. In its proper perspective, we learn a whole lot from this very simple parable. Let's begin with the first thing I want to point out this morning. Treasurers intentionally invest the seeds of the gospel. That's what Jesus is pointing out here. Those who treasure the kingdom do their part. They play their role. They do what they're asked. I want to read verse 26 one more time. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. That's, a, that's, our, that's our role. You want to know what your role in life is? It's to invest in the kingdom so that the gospel gets scattered everywhere. It's not difficult. And everybody can do it. Nobody's exempt because everyone's qualified. And that this is what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is like, he's explaining, this is how it's going to work. This is God's intention for us, that we scatter the seed. Now, I remember when my grandfather was teaching me to plant cucumbers in his little garden back in South Bend, Indiana, he had, he'd have these little mounds all built up and he would put like 10,000 cucumber seeds in there, hoping one of them would grab. There was a very specific way my grandfather planted these things. He didn't like the way I did it, so I quit working with him because it wasn't his way, it wasn't the right way, and I was out, and I, I regret that. But he had a simple model. And when I look up the word scatters here in the original language, it doesn't mean the way my grandfather did it. It actually means this indiscriminate sending seed everywhere you can, every chance you get. I love that image. That if you're waiting for the perfect moment and the perfect conditions, you've misunderstood what God's asked us to do. You and I can love anybody at any time for any reason, can't we? You don't have to wait for the perfect moment. And there's a reason we want to wait for the perfect moment. And point two will bring up why we don't get to do that. But we are to scatter. We are to put the, the seed wherever we can. And anytime Jesus tells a parable with seed, the seed is always the message of the gospel without exception. It's always the word of God. This is what we plant, the truth of God, the character of God, the principles of God, or as the Proverbs would say, the ways of God. It's always this. And whether it's giving time, treasure, or talents, every single one of us has an opportunity to invest in the kingdom. Now, uh, getting my directions right here, okay. So if you go out Kafer Road and you're heading east and you come to the very first corner, on that southeast corner, or southwest corner rather, was a, a lady, I, I never met her, but I loved her flower garden. It was probably a 25 by 25 patch of, gar of flowers. And what was beautiful about her garden is it was like a symphony. There was a different instrument playing all the time. When you went from early spring all the way to the dead season at the end of fall, there were different flowers coming up all the time. Beautiful colors. Beautiful. I don't even know the names of most flowers. I can pick a rose out if I'm lucky. But all these flowers would come up and I would drive by there. I've probably driven by there. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say a thousand times since I moved to Missouri. And every time I would go by that flower garden and I would think to myself, I want a flower garden just like that lady's flower garden. You know why I don't have one? Because I ain't ever planted a seed. And here's a biblical principle I want to give you. You might want to write this down. 
no plant, no plant. No verb, plant, no noun, plant. It's a spiritual principle. If you cast no seed, nothing will ever grow, church. Now, that's not to shame you. That's to say for many of us who want to be involved in the kingdom, you can do what you can do, so do it. Cast the gospel. Tell the words of God. Tell people about the character of God. We're living in a world that has God cast as an enemy instead of the lover of the soul of every human being made in his image. And our world needs to hear what we know about him. They need to hear the truth. Paul said it very directly to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Plant the gospel and watch what happens. This is our role, to be people that are investing our time, treasure, and talents so that the gospel, whether it's a loving act, whether it's a gift, whether it's a word of encouragement, whether it's a time spent with the person, just seeing them and giving them their humanity, the dignity it deserves, whatever it is, cast the seed. Wherever you are, for as long as you're there, be an agent of the gospel and cast the gospel seed. So we trust as treasurers that investing is our role. Second thing I want you to see from Jesus' little parable is that treasurers trust that God is sovereign. And here's where we get tested. Because we're not called to save the world and Jesus is the savior, our role is that Jesus remains the savior. Cast the seed. But what if it bounces off the dirt? Cast the seed. But what if I've cast before and it didn't work? Cast the seed. Here's why. Verse 27. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. And now I don't know, I I don't want to mansplain this and insult your intelligence, But if you read verses 26, 27, and 28 together, you realize this, you and I are not as important as we think we are. We contribute, but we're a part of a process that God began from the very beginning. God doesn't need us, but God has offered us an opportunity to invest in his kingdom and treasurers hold on to that and they trust that God's ways are better than our ways. Because I believe fundamentally with everything I am from who I know God to be, that there is nothing God has asked of me that is not good for me to do. And I also believe there is nothing God asked of me that is not good for the others when I do it. There is nothing inherently selfish in God. There's nothing that God does just for his own glory. He allows our, his glory to reflect in us in such a way that people are blessed when they know who he is. Because I believe God is good for everybody. And it even says here that the farmer goes back to his life. Notice what it says. He doesn't say he scatters a seed and then he stands over it doing nothing else for the rest of his life but staring at the seed. No, whether he eats or sleeps, he goes about his everyday business. He takes a vacation. He enjoys a ball game. He enjoys a nice meal the entire time. His work and his contribution is used by God because church, God is sovereign. He's got this. When Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like, he's saying, this is how it's going to work. Here is your contribution. Cast the seed. I don't have time to go into it, but if you'll look at the next parable 
following that right in the Gospel of Mark, if you have it open, the next parable is the parable of the mustard seed. And can I give you, I'm going to, but can I give you a five-second paraphrase of that entire parable? Shortest sermon you'll ever hear me preach. Don't mistake unimpressive for insignificant. Don't, listen to me, don't mistake unimpressive for insignificant. You look at a mustard seed, you can't imagine it could do anything. When God gets his hands on it, it can do everything. And you may think you're unimpressive or insignificant. Don't mistake the two. God is significant. We're investing in the power of God and the word of God and the ways of God. And when you do that, you may not see the produce. You may not see the harvest in your lifetime, but don't you mistake for a second that God is unable to take the gospel and make it change lives. He did it for you. And if a little boy can fly a kite string across a great span and a huge bridge is built because of his efforts, can you imagine if you just flew a kite, what God might do? Nothing more than what you're capable of. Nothing more than the opportunities you're in. One of the best preachers ever preached in the Joplin area is a man named Randy Garrison. I'll never forget what Randy says all the time. He said, there are intersections every day that God makes you stop at for a reason. Because at that intersection, you're going to meet somebody you may never meet again. And that's a chance for you to plant the seed. I'll never forget that illustration. I think about it quite way, way too much. I'm kind of jealous. I wish I'd have thought of it. You see, God's timing is perfect, even when it's unpredictable. Now, I'm going to date myself for some of you, and uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Do you guys remember in the 80s, for those of you alive in the 80s, there was that Russian comedian, Yakov Smirnov. I know he had like a palace down at Branson or something. I've never been, but he was funny in the 80s, at least. And he had this funny story I've never forgotten. You know, he played off the role of coming from poor Russia to the opulent America. And he had the stories. The first time he ever went to a grocery store, he was amazed at what was available to us. He saw, he saw instant pudding and he read what that meant. It said, just add milk and you have pudding. And then he saw instant orange juice and he thought, what? You add water and you have orange juice. And then he went down the line and he said, he saw powdered milk. You add water and you get milk. He said, he turned the aisle and he saw baby powder and he thought, what a country. Well, the whole point is there is no instant anything to be truthful. You ever had instant milk? It ain't milk. You ever had tang? That ain't orange juice. Are you with me, church? And if you think planning the gospel on a Tuesday at 3 and you're going to be baptizing someone at 320, no, it's not how this works. You plant the seed, trusting that God will use that to grow what God wants to grow in God's perfect timing, right? This is how this is going to work. And we get frustrated. I'm going to say we when I mean me, and I'm thinking you're like me. We get frustrated when we witness to a friend for years and nothing happens. When we pray for a family member, like I pray for my brother Steve, and I can't see any fruit. And I have to remind myself from Jesus' parable, the beauty of it is, no, plant the seed, Mark, and God's going to do what God's going to do because God is sovereign, you're not. And that's okay. And I can live at peace with that. If my neighbor's still belligerent, if the person I helped didn't make a decision for Christ, if I've tried to be kind and turn the other cheek and nothing happened, plant the seed, plant the seed. That's what we're asked to do. Trusting God to do all the other work. Paul talked to a church that was worrying about prestige and influence and, and celebrity preachers even, even back in the day. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said for this, for when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Here's the intersection piece. When we do what we're asked to do, God's got the rest. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I really want you to hear that today. And not only hear it, I want some of you to start believing it. Yeah, your failures at reaping a large harvest has nothing to do with you. You are doing what God is asking you to do, right? Don't quit doing what God asks you to do because God asked you for a reason. And God's reasons are good for you and they're good for everybody else. Just cast seed. He doesn't call us to be powerful. He calls us to be faithful. And verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grape, uh, grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. God's going to reap a harvest. And he will reap a harvest contingent on how we plant. If we will cast a seed, God will turn that seed into changed lives. Uh, you might remember this, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse one. You may have heard this expression before. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters for you will find it after many days. Now I'm really gonna date myself here because if I can tell you about Yaakov Smirnoff, let's go all the way back. Some of you might remember a group called the Imperials. They used to sing a song about casting your bread on the water. And here I was a junior high or high school kid mocking that song because who wants soggy bread? <laughs> That's how deep I was. I missed the metaphor completely. And when you read it in Ecclesiastes, and I believe Solomon wrote this, there's something about Solomon's life that's fairly fascinating. In 1 Kings chapter 10, this is talking about King Solomon and his wisdom. This is what it says. The king had a fleet of trading ships at sea along with the ships of Hiram. Once every three years, it returned, carrying gold, silver, ivory, apes, and baboons. I'm never not gonna laugh at that. I mean, there's like, this guy was an amazing businessman. He brought like, like fruit, vegetables, and apes. Anyway, I think it's funny. And it says here, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings on the earth. Now this king would send out his trading ships with stuff he had a surplus of, and he would bring back, listen to me, he would bring back greater than he sent out. Even if it took three years for those trading ships to come back. And he became world famous for his wisdom in trading and shipping and exporting and importing. And what are we supposed to do with this? This same man would say to us, cast your bread out on the water and it will come back at another date with great blessing. And that's what we're doing today when we fly our kite. We're gonna cast the seed of the gospel and God's gonna bring back things you and I never imagined we would get in return because our God is good and our God is powerful and treasurers trust the sovereignty of God. You see, God is faithful, even in the moments we want it faster, bigger, and more, because he's in control. So we, treasurers invest their treasures back into the kingdom, and treasurers trust that God has this all under control. The third and last thing is this, 
Treasurers know that what we harvest is the treasure which brings our God pleasure. When we invest in his kingdom and we treasure the things that Jesus treasured, we bring God his greatest pleasure. Because remember, we don't ask, what do I get for doing this? We've already gotten what we wanted. Our soul restored a relationship with God himself. Verse 29, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. When I was younger, I didn't understand this parable. It wasn't until I went to Bible college that a professor explained it to me in terms that connected the dots for me that I wasn't seeing. I used to think, well, if, you know, this whole thing is, okay, so we do all this work and God gets what God wants and that's the end. He just eats all of it himself. No, that's actually not it. A farmer told me this truth. If you plant a kernel of corn, you're gonna get multiple ears of corn. And on every ear of corn could be 50 or 60 more kernels. Yes, you can eat those, but a wise farmer invests some of those kernels back in the ground. And this is what Jesus is teaching. If you and I will plant whatever seeds we can, wherever we're at, whenever we can do that, God is going to take the produce of that and he's not gonna just gorge himself on it. He's actually going to invest our investment into generations that will happen long after we're gone. And he will bring a harvest and he will turn that harvest into good for every single person. So whether your gift of finances or your gift of time your gift of volunteering, your gift of loving your neighbor, your gift of writing a note of encouragement or reaching out to a person who just needs to be heard, no matter what that gift of your investment is, do you trust that God is going to take it even if rejected and do something with it? I do. I believe he will. And do you believe that that brings God pleasure when you will cast the gospel out even when it's thrown back in your face? This is what God wants to do. Not discourage you, but to say, trust me, treasure what I'm asking you to treasure and watch how I multiply your casting of seed throughout the world. Now, I'd love to, you know, just look at 2 Timothy 2.2 with me. What you have heard from me before many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, your investment isn't just about you or me. It's not just about this church. Your investment of time, treasure, money, those investments are being sent out to cast seed throughout the world, to places in Japan, one of the largest nations in the world who doesn't know who Jesus is. I'm not talking about they don't, are disinterested in Jesus. They don't have enough information to be disinterested. Or into India, or these places throughout the globe, Papua New Guinea, where a Bible is being translated into their language. The investment that we're asking you to make is not so Orinogo can build something. It's actually so that we can be a group of people that are investing in the treasures of, of sending preachers and kingdom workers into the world to make a difference. I wanna invite you into this. <clears throat> yes, it'll take sacrifice. We're unashamed to ask for that because the purpose is to give God what God deserves to give God glory. Now, I would like to give you, because it's my nature, I'd like to, as a coach, give you five or six things I would like you to think about doing this week. But do you know what? That's not my role. My role is absolutely not the role of the Holy Spirit. I am to present truth. I am to speak on behalf of the word of God. I'm to teach you what God's teaching me. But the Holy Spirit's the one who brings conviction. And here's what I know. The Holy Spirit knows where you're at right now. So what I'd really like us to do for the next 20 or 30 seconds, I'd like you to sit in the quiet and I'd like you to ask the Holy Spirit, 
where do you want me to invest the gospel seeds you've given me? Is it my time? Is it my talent? Is it my treasure? What is the next investment, God, from me? Is it a relationship I have? Is it a relationship you want me to, to form? Is it restoring a relationship that's been shattered? Is it investing and encouraging a missionary or a, a Bible college student or, or someone who's going out to be a kingdom worker and training to go into the dark places of the world as a Christian in their occupation and make a difference? Not just accidental difference, but intentional difference. Where is it, Lord, that you want me to invest? Because I know he wants to tell you. And I know you want to hear. So this morning, I just want to encourage you. In the silence, ask the Holy Spirit of God himself, where is my next investment? And then be found faithful to answer with yes. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.